to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick. And as always, we like to talk about things that are related to disaster recovery, business continuity, and everything that's related to that. And sometimes it can be a pretty big topic, uh, you know, preparing for things that are unexpected. But today, uh, for our regular listeners, you might recognize my guest. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Alvaro Arantia, is joining us once again. And this week, we're going to be talking about dependency and uh, all the dependencies within business continuity management programs. Welcome back, Alvaro. How are you today? Very well. Thanks for having me again here, Alex. Oh, no problem. I enjoy having you back here. Uh, you know, lots of great information comes uh, comes out when we chat, so uh, it's really a pleasure to have you back. Um, today, as I said, we're going to talk about dependency management. But So before we get there, just in case somebody hasn't you know been listening to the show can you give us a quick uh, two minutes uh, recap about yourself you know where uh, where you come from your background and uh, you know how you got to, to where you are today yeah thank you Alex absolutely so I, I am originally from Colombia I am a systems engineer uh, so I've been uh, around the world of IT for for pretty much all my life uh, and, and I started just um, um, getting myself inserted into the um, uh, disaster recovery and business continuity process and InfoSec also around uh, 1996. Uh, since then, I just got more and more interested and more and more inserted into it. I worked in uh, construction companies uh, in the IT field also. I worked uh, for technology companies like AT&T. I've worked also in um, consulting uh, uh, to a large consulting firm. Uh, and also in the financial sector, and, and I've done quite a few engagements uh, through this consultant firm uh, for government, uh, healthcare, and, and other organizations in those sectors as well. So it's uh, it's very interesting just just to uh, to help organizations and help people understand risk and understand the different connections and dependencies that risk has within itself and with the way of doing business. Okay, thank you. So let's move on to our topic, you know, dependencies. So for many people, there are very different uh, thoughts about the business continuity program and how it all connects. But for you, what what kind of components are out there that have dependencies, you know, and what are these dependencies? And and really, can you, to be very clear for some people, can you define what a dependency is? Yeah, so let's start with, with defining the, the dependency. And I think in the context of, of risk, it's also like a dependency in terms of a, a certain risk decision uh, has also repercussions on other disciplines or on other items associated with, with the business. Uh, like uh, uh, on, a, on a very easy example, like if you decide to uh, uh, take a secondary road versus a highway on your way to work, 
I guess the repercussion might be, yeah, you might save some time, perhaps if that other uh, road is moving faster than the highway, like it happens very, very often. But you might also, the repercussion is, is that you're probably going to end up using more gas because you are going and stopping and going, right? So similar goes here. So there are repercussions uh, on, on depending on the business decision that is made. And in the context of risk, um, uh, and also in the context of uh, getting prepared and business continuity, uh, we're looking mostly at operational risk. And operational risk typically includes process risk, so when a process fails because it doesn't have enough controls, for example, but also includes all the different elements that business continuity risk addresses. So a decision in business continuity may affect also processes, or a decision in the process may affect business continuity and so on and so forth. But there's even more dependencies beyond that. We are seeing constantly uh, operational risk also having a lot of relatedness with information security and with practice. Uh, um, So, for example, a process control might contravene certain um, information security practices or policies. Or, or maybe it actually supports it. But all of these items are, are interconnected in a very, very close way that sometimes we don't see very clearly. So do you have an example of that? You know, with the various components of a, a BCM program, you know, there's so many different pieces and they're always uh, moving. You know, how, how can one thing affect or impact another piece? You know, what, what's a good example of that? with one item that you mentioned uh, just uh, just now, Alex, which is the, the program. So the different components of the business continuity program or the cycle include emergency, emergency management, of course, business continuity management, disaster recovery management, and crisis management. Emergency management, uh, essentially, um, as we mentioned in one of our sessions before, uh, is all about just uh, protecting people's lives and their well-being. So it is, we have an emergency evacuate a facility. So it's very close to the facility and its surroundings. It intends to provide evacuation routes, also fire wardens, uh, um, some um, 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 facilities or, or, or rendezvous points for the people to get together and do accounting of personnel. Business continuity is around also protecting the continuance of the business and key business processes through planning and preparedness, right? Disaster recovery, on the other hand, even though uh, there could be similar terms, in our industry is known as as all the activities aimed at protecting or recovering, better said, the critical information systems that are behind those critical business processes. And then crisis management is the encompassing, the, the umbrella a set of processes just to manage all these different moving parts and communicating with uh, people, with the stakeholders being either shareholders or regulators or the government agencies. Uh, well, this is the umbrella. The umbrella are, are different processes that cover them all. So in terms of that, um, a decision in one may affect the other one. For instance, if an organization determines from a risk management perspective that it has a significant risk exposure by having its key personnel and its data center in the same location, then a decision may be to split them, right? So, so again, that mm-hmm. lowers the risk by splitting risk across different locations. But that also means that then you have you got to have different infrastructures now. So you got to have your people connected through a more solid network that has to have redundancies in place. So the people who are in its headquarters, for example, 
have redundancies in place to connect to the data center. And that data center, uh, sorry, and that connectivity may need to have some additional information security controls such as encryption to protect traffic that is in transit between the head office and the data center. So a decision like that lowers the risk but also triggers other controls that are aimed to, to decrease the risk. So it lowers the risk in terms of a facility and concentration risk, but it may increase the risk in terms of information security slash eavesdropping risk when they're transmitting confidential information through a wired area network, for example. Okay. So if that's all internal, um, say that use that same example where you've split your staff into two locations. Is there dependency now externally? Does Do external dependencies change as well as internal ones? Absolutely, and thanks for mentioning that. So typically, the structure of a business continuity plan addresses four types of, of high-level uh, issues, let's say. So one is personal loss. What do I do on personal loss? Technology loss. Again, I lost my technology for some reason. Uh, facility loss and third-party loss. So speaking right now, for now on, on third-party loss, exactly. So that third-party connectivity, if there's one, or the third-party dependency, put it this way, uh, is also a risk that must be addressed through proactive measures such as not depending on only one third-party or creating certain workarounds or even some contractual obligations and, of course, some management oversight to make sure that third-party a certain provision in place to remain in business. Or if not, if we have a significant dependency on one third party, right? So what, what can we do to maybe just get another third party and reduce that dependency in case that primary third party uh, uh, is, uh, is not operational? Case in point, not two reasons ago, uh, I, one of, one of the, the, the persons that I know of depend quite a lot on Canada Post for, for mailing uh, different items to their clients. So when Canada Post entered back then into strike, they had to engage a third party. I don't recall if it was, well, a third party courier, but in this case, they reduced that dependency. But also they had to work proactively to set up some kind of an agreement with that third party so they would be in business very quickly in the event of a strike by Canada Post. So it can work both ways then. If our organization has a dependency on Canada Post, we have... We have expectations of them, right? But if they, and, and to your last point, if they have a strike, we have to know what to do when they are out. Absolutely. We have to give them. Absolutely. We have to give them direction, right? Like, don't deliver to us or something like that. Absolutely. And what happens in those cases too, when an organization decides to use one third party, typically that organization would benefit from from volume discounts, right? So if I give all my business to a third party, I would expect to have a significant volume discount. That is translated into cost savings. But if I split that into multiple third parties, then I lose that volume discount, but it comes more of a business decision. It comes from a, a purely risk management approach where I'm saying, okay, what is the risk of that key and only third party that I have uh, is going out of business or is not operational for some reason? Right? And what is the likelihood and what are the financial, reputational impacts that I have and productivity impacts versus the cost savings that I miss by having two or more third parties that would help me in the event of that key third party going out of business, right? So it is, it is uh, 
quite about risk management decisions. Sometimes organizations don't see it as such, but it is risk management embedded deeply into that decision making. Well, yeah, we you know we we have to know what to do when a, a, a vendor you know that we're dealing with has a situation. You know, what do we do now? But we also it has to be the other uh, um, uh, reversed as well. You know, what are the expectations set on both sides? You know, don't send us anything. You know, hold hold uh, deliveries or send deliveries to another location because you mentioned splitting staff. So you know. Uh, you 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 have to have your contingencies on both sides when you're down and when your supplier is down, you know to be able absolutely. to understand. You know it can't just yeah. be one way. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also at that point, it comes the significant value of exercising uh, in partnership with your third parties. Sometimes those third parties are too large, but many times if you ask, you'll find them very suitable and very interested in, in collaborating with you on exercising. Uh, what I, I've done in the past is I engage the third parties to, to run two types of simulations. One is if I suffer a business disruption, right, what do I need to do with regards to my interaction with that third party? Exactly. Don't come in to get anything that I'm sending, for example, if it is the case of courier. Um, or the other scenario is what happens if that third party is suffering a significant business disruption. Like, I don't expect them to come in. So how do we communicate with each other when either or of the scenarios happens? And also, what are the workarounds and what are the contingencies in place that I could uh, enact when that situation arises? Yes. Right. And um, you may remember uh, years ago, Alvaro, uh, we worked on a few of those uh, kind of tests and exercises with some financial institutions in downtown Toronto. Absolutely, yes. Yes, and in one of those events, we, we ended up uh, finding situations where we needed to, to make some corrections. So in one occasion, uh, it was us being creative as opposed to transmitting something. We ended up writing something, right? And uh, back then and during the blackout, uh, we depended also on third parties to deliver uh, some statements to our clients. And because we knew they were out of business, we notified our clients and we told them, you know what? Don't expect those third parties, but we are here. We're open for business. If you want to pick up those physical statements, we have a booth open. We have actually a window open, so you can physically come to our location and pick them up if you need them. So we were actually able to, to think, uh, sometimes creatively, on those workarounds and communicate to our end customers about uh, those workarounds being in effect. Yes. Yeah, I, re- I remember us uh, planning some of that, and uh, uh, I remember hearing some of those things in the blackout, because unfortunately I wasn't there. I was uh, stuck in traffic uh, that day. <laughs> I even remember you sending me texts. You know, what's the traffic like? Where are you? <laughs> yes, I was from yes. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting day. <laughs> so what other kind of um, dependencies are there externally? Because... You know, it, it's easy to have dependencies when it comes to third-party suppliers, but sometimes other things get in the way and other events, you know, that really have nothing to do with, you know, my company or your company. You know, things like um, some of the, uh, well, recently, like the volcano, you know, in Iceland and uh, the volcano down in, um, is it Malaysia or Indonesia right now? The mm-hmm. one uh, in Bali uh, that, mm-hmm. you know, is impacting everybody, you know, all these dependencies, you know, that companies that do business back and forth all over the place and flights everywhere. And yet an event happens and suddenly everybody is impacted. 
How, how do you kind of manage that situation, or, or is it even possible to do it? Well, it's, as we say uh, normally, it's a, a plan for the worst, hope for the best. Uh, so it, it is quite tricky, and, and, uh, and what, I, what I tell many people who actually are skeptical about business continuity is uh, you don't know what you don't know. So uh, I'm going to talk about the, the volcanic eruption in Ireland in a minute, but I remember uh, at that time of the blackout, actually a little bit before we had SARS in, in Toronto, and at that point it was technically possible for a nurse to come with a couple of police officers and shut down a facility to prevent um, a SARS outbreak from spreading. So it was something nobody ever thought of, not even the most experienced business continuity professionals. But the key message for everyone was exactly that. We don't know what we don't know. Nobody, everybody thought you could be susceptible to a hurricane or to maybe a train derailment because those things have happened in the past. It's very easy to remember those. And regularly people... Uh, bring up those examples, and they talk regularly about September 11 and so on and so forth. But never anybody could have thought of of this situation. So now, fast forward to a few years, I think probably around uh, maybe uh, eight years, nine years after, and it is the Atlantic uh, uh, volcano erupting. So when that happened, a lot of ash was in the sky, and the company worked for uh, had a very strong uh, manufacturing supply chain. They even had their own plans and, of course, third-party plans. What happened was, at that point, the planes sending parts back and forth for either regular manufacturing or repairs that are, are normally done quite urgently, they were landed. So their supply chain came to a stop and almost got to a critical point. It is those things that we could never think of. So, so yes, the company knew there was a dependency on, on, the, on all the shipments and, 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 and third-party couriers that would depend on, and turn in, on their own planes, right? They would never thought that such a, a, a situation like this eruption of that magnitude would bring down the entire supply chain and even just airliners for passenger airliners, bring them down for days in Europe. And, and sometimes... Those are the situations that need to happen for us to think of certain things. Probably this was very a, a low, very low likelihood, right? But it happened. So it opened the eyes for many people around the world, including ourselves. I think in terms of business continuity planning also, and in terms of also you, not knowing what you don't know, there's always going to be an item that goes back to risk, which is residual risk. So an organization may say, okay, here's where we stop. We're not going to have two or three or different sets of planes through different routes, and even perhaps there's cargo ships, in case another volcano erupts. If it happens again, that is residual risk, and we're prepared to accept the risk. So that's where it goes again to the linkages with operational risk and with the overall practice of risk management. And I think part of the items that we've discussed in the past is that there's a few things that you can do with risk, but one of them is is really not ignoring the risk. So by virtue of saying this is very low likelihood, an organization is accepting the risk of that happening. Again, understanding it's, it's very unlikely to happen again, right? Right. And on that, we're going to take a break, and we're right back talking with Alvaro Arantia about BCM and dependencies. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. 
Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors, but we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. We're talking with Alvor Arantia today uh, about business continuity management and dependencies and dependency management. And before we went away on break, Alvaro, you were giving us a lot of uh, great information about dependencies and how we, you know, things that we need to look for dependency. But let, can we take a step back? How do we identify that we have dependencies? You know, what pro, is there a process in place that we should follow or use or tips, anything you could kind of give our listeners an idea to help them identify if they do have a dependency anywhere, either externally or internally? Yes, so so I think in in, um, in very short, I would say practice, 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 and, and also just uh, listen to to experiences and to what happens around you. Uh, in normal uh, business continuity cycle, there's the beginning is through a business impact analysis or BIA, and and as we mentioned before, then one of the scenarios that we talk about is is third party loss. So when we are conducting a BIA. Uh, through the different uh, business stakeholders, we want to ask them what their party they depend on, and of course internal and external at that point, uh, with a lot of emphasis on, on external in this case. So in that process, uh, we hope that many of those are identified, right? But many could be missed, so, so that's, that's part of the overall uh, uh, risk, I guess, of missing a, a few of the critical ones. But also then, then it comes Practice. And by that I mean when we conduct a business continuity or even a disaster recovery simulation, we, we kind of identify also those third parties by virtue of, of those discussions and those simulations. And at that point, that's when the cycle almost completes. So the results of a, of a simulation feed into the next BIA and into further identifying or refining those dependencies. Somebody may say, hey, I didn't know this dependency was there. Somebody may be saying, I didn't know this dependency was critical or was not that critical. So that is the process of refining it. But also we see in the news. So as we discussed before, the uh, eruption in, in Ireland. So we might, it made a few people think that they were not even in Europe, think what happens if something like this happens in, in my continent? or in, around my country. So that made a few people think, if you're listening to what happens around the world, that would make you think of all their dependencies or all the repercussions of certain things happening around. So it is, it is a, a, a state of mind, being constantly alert for what your business depends on and what other business may fail on when those situations arise and also see if they can be applicable to your, to your organization. And of course, that might trigger different, uh, different business decisions to also mitigate those risks. So is that when you, once you have these identified, you have to kind of validate that they really are dependencies and not just, you know, something else? 
right through, and then you can validate them through testing as well. Absolutely. So, so happened happened to me uh, on a, on a project in in Poland. So we were talking about risks that could possibly affect their data centers for a large organization in Poland. And, you know, in typical, you look at, okay, so are you subject to uh, tsunamis and, of course, earthquakes and terrorism and what have you. But I, when I was asking around, nothing happened. The, the place was not prone to earthquakes. The place was not prone to hurricanes or tornadoes or tsunamis. So there was almost almost no risk. So, so at that point, we all went through that a process, right? So we, we didn't identify anything that would just pose an immediate risk. Other than, in this case, a dependency on a third party, right? But in terms of other effects, it might not be applicable, but at least my message is go through that kind of thinking and make sure that uh, any possible dependencies or, 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 or threats are identified as well, yes. Okay. So... Uh Obviously, a BIA is is a key part to helping identify these. And then as you move through the program, you hopefully will uncover other ones as you dig deeper and, and start getting into the, the, the testing and the validation sections, right? Exactly. Exactly as well. So so all the testing in, in precisely intends to validate uh, the effectiveness of business continuity plans and or the faster recovery plans. So at the end of the day, if you have a plan, so we're saying, okay, let's let's see if by following these steps, we actually are able to recover those business functions or those critical applications. And if not, let's make amendments, right? But the, the exercising body base, those plans are effective and are still up to date and relevant. Okay. So let's change gears a little bit. I know there's a topic that uh, you like to talk about. Let's switch to dependencies for information security. Now, can you tell us about that? You know, what kind of things do we need to consider as, you know, as business owners or working in companies or community leaders, you know, when it comes to information security and, and dependencies and, and business continuity? How does that relate to everything? Yeah, so I have a designation on information security, and, and that designation, uh, they taught us all the time to think of CIA as confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Um, so it is around um, uh, integrity, availability, that we start putting hooks into disaster recovery, IT disaster recovery. But, but it's those three items that could also affect an organization from a crisis management perspective. Think, think for example, of the uh, um, issue coming up recently around uh, Equifax. So it is all public news. Uh, again, I, it's, it's an organization that is, that is out there, and, and we all saw what happened. So the reputation of that organization was affected dramatically by what happened. Now, the repercussions could be also that if I had nothing to do with Equifax, and, and again, my name was compromised, I could be subject to identity theft. And if I do business with a bank, I might just go and, and ask my bank what happened, right? So my bank could be in, implicated in that process too. So this is when information security issues affect the reputation of organizations that even go beyond the organization that suffered uh, an attack or, in this case, a disclosure of their confidential information. Now, that's about confidentiality a little bit. Now, think about integrity and availability. So if, uh, if you are subject to a ransomware attack, so people, people see it as cybersecurity, and, and you hear around 
uh, these walls are laid there's a lot of emphasis around cyber, cyber, cyber. But people fail to also understand the implications it has around the ability to operate. So if an organization happens to be a target and a victim, better said, of cyberware, essentially their data is no longer available. Or if an organization is hacked and their databases are altered, then the integrity of the data is also affected. And again, the organization is almost a surrender that's useless. If you cannot use your data because it's inconsistent or because you cannot access the data because it is encrypted, then you're as good as being interrupted anyway. So there's a lot of linkages right now uh, in between what we have seen as a business, uh, sorry, information security only and business interruption in this case. And organizations need to understand that the controls that are in place for information security also feed, or not if there are not too many controls, also feed their ability to remain in business. So an organization that I, that I worked for recently was subjected to uh, encryption of all their data. They happened to be getting uh, emails from a source with a resume. The person seemed to be very interested in working for them. They kept ignoring those resumes until one day an employee decided, okay, this person is insisting so much, let's see what's going on, and open a word attachment. That word uh-huh. attachment was not such. It contained a script that encrypted all their data. What happened at that point in time, they didn't have sufficient controls in all their data and their backups, which were in this case insufficient from an information security control perspective, their backups were also encrypted. And, and they decided to, to pay, in this case, some, some ransom to get their data back. Many organizations uh, validly don't pay, uh, or organizations do. And they ended up, in this case, affecting their finances because they had to recover their data. Also, they, they took that as a learning lesson, and they changed the way their backups were performed to keep a certain set of offline backups and prevent this from happening again. Of course, through more employee awareness and also other, other IT-based controls. So we see in this case how an encryption of their key data almost got the information, their, their organization out of business because the information was not accessible. They were actually in operating or not operating for a number of days. I think it was about two to three days until they were able to get their data back. And that being said, organizations need to take into account their response to, to in this case, to the attackers. So if I am an organization, and I'm not saying what to do, by the way, but if I'm an organization and I decide to pay for that ransomware, i got to think also, what happens if the attackers left the back door? What happens if they do it again? So they mm-hmm. might take advantage of an organization again and again. So it's something to think of, yes. So to tie that back with dependencies, I know and um, I, I've seen it, and I think uh, actually, Alvar, when we worked together, I think uh, you had also had this in place, but some sort of an incident management team or process in place, right, that kind of triggers um, uh, not just the information security protocols, but business continuity type of uh, responses, correct? Absolutely, and great point, yes. So, so all of this needs to be integrated. If we start uh, uh, thinking uh, or in the principle that a significant information system outage could cause 
a business process outage or a business uh, in itself being interrupted, then absolutely there needs to be linkages between IT incident management and business continuity and crisis management. So, so if I depend as an organization on a critical system and that system is down, right away the incident management team would detect that incident and, and would try to bring the system up again. That's, that's this, that information management team needs to have uh, connectivity, and I, I, and I don't mean network connectivity, I mean process connectivity, with the business continuity team. So at that point, there's a dialogue between them, and, and they say, okay, XYZ system is down. We continue to uh, have efforts to bring it up. Please communicate to the business what is going on and what, when the next update is going to be. And then the business is kept up to date. Now, mind you, after a certain time, and typically that's, that's the business tolerance to downtime, after a certain time, the business may choose to activate their business continuity plans for loss of IT. But at the mm-hmm. meantime, also, the, the information, sorry, the incident management team is going to be working towards bringing that information system up. So there's a constant dialogue between the two. And when the system is up, then the IT team may be saying, okay, the system is up, please validate and engage the business, and then the business goes back to, to normal, put it that way. So there's a very strong relationship between pure IT incident management and business continuity management as well. Yeah, are there ever incidents where um, maybe you know there is a information security uh, breach, shall we say, that business continuity and and um, you know d- business departments don't need to get involved? Is that possible? Um, it, it depends. So I, I would probably say that when there's small breaches, and I, I, would, I would use that term loosely, like for example, a, a virus, right? Uh, and it gets contained very quickly with minimal uh, effects in the business, maybe they don't need to get involved, right? But, but more and more we're seeing there's an increased uh, connectedness, uh, uh, and that causes any information security breach to typically spread uh, quite a bit. A few years ago, um, um, one organization I worked for actually suffered from, from that. So there was, there was another case of, uh, of, an out, of malware infection, Again, through, through a typical social engineering, you get an email saying this is an invoice and people get, get confused thinking they are getting an invoice and they open it. So it ended up spreading multiple computers and very quickly. So it happened in a matter of hours when thousands of computers were affected. So, so in those cases, and that is most of the time, the, any information security issues, uh, instead of let's not call it outbreaks, but issues, uh, they get propagated very quickly because of the, of the of the connectivity that organizations and IT systems have these days. And, and most of the time it is like that, an organization needs to be prepared to respond to them in a, in a quickly, in a quickly way, in a very quick way. So essentially, that, that's the, the interconnectivity affects many of these items. And, and I, it takes me to another point that I wanted to bring up, which is cloud. Many organizations think that when, when an application is on the cloud and when data is on the cloud, it is automatically protected. It isn't. So organizations need to ask the right questions to those cloud suppliers. They need to be saying, okay, so when it's on the cloud, what kind of protection controls are there in place? Do I get disaster recovery services as part of my cloud engagement? Many don't. Many just get availability. And let's not confuse the two concepts. Availability mostly is pertaining a 
failure that is local to where the data resides. Disaster recovery is more around big data center facility issues that cause a failover to an alternate facility. So organizations need to be cognizant of this and ask their cloud service providers confirmation for those controls that they want to have in place. It's not to be assumed that they are in place. And that happens very, very often. So what kind of questions would we ask? Now, now I'm, I'm sure people are uh, maybe curious about that. What, what kind of questions should we ask these suppliers? So we should ask about their own business continuity plans, right? Because at the level of interaction between a third-party supplier and an organization is business level. So we need to understand their business continuity plans. But they also have, of course, very deep IT dependencies, especially if it is cloud, essentially an organization that is supplying or is providing cloud services is in the IT business. So what are their IT disaster recovery plans? What is their process? What is their success rates when they do exercises? Right? What are their alternate facilities? And also a very important item is more and more uh, third-party attestations. So there are standards out there. Uh, Canada has its own uh, CICA, for example, and there was uh, the old SAS-70 that has evolved, of course, uh, over many years. Uh, so there are third-party attestations that are conducted by, by auditors that certify if an organization has certain controls in place and which those controls are, and if they are just simply documented or if they are actually operating effectively for a period of time. So those, those third-party attestation reports are key. They are refreshed on an annual basis, and they help organizations know which controls the third party have in effect. Uh, and, of course, if those controls are aligned with what they want, that's a great way just to know that they are solid. For example, if I'm interested in disaster recovery and those controls don't mention disaster recovery, barely mention backups, maybe I don't want to do business with that organization. But if, on the other hand, those controls are quite solid on all of their backup and recovery processes, their IT monitoring, disaster recovery processes, maybe I do want to do business with that organization as well. Okay. On that note, we're going to take a break, and we're talking with Alvaro Arantia. We're talking about BCM and all the different kinds of dependencies we need to manage. We'll be right back. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea. To Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to uh, the show. We're talking with Alvaro Arantia. We're talking about BCM and uh, dependencies and dependency management. 
Um, Alvaro, just before uh, we went away on break, we were talking about the cloud, you know, and the the risks that can be uh, involved there, and asking you know the right questions, uh, and, and making sure that vendors have things in control, you know, have controls in place. Um, I was just kind of curious, you know, these service providers that provide the cloud, you know. They're providing us a service. If they go down, we want to make sure they're available. But they have other third parties they're dealing with as well that can impact them, correct? Uh, do we need to consider that, or how far do you think we should go? Yeah, that, that's, that's right. They, they have, like in every one, they have third-party dependencies. Um, so definitely part of their controls should, should address uh, business continuity. And, and I, I think also we are entitled as, as clients of those third parties to ask about what is their approach to their own third parties, right? And they, that should be uh, clear, concise, solid responses that allow us to feel confident about doing business with them. Uh, that being said, um, then the question is, how far do we go? How many hops into the third party uh, supply chain do we go? And, and I, think, I think it's up to each organization, but also they need to be cognizant that the further they go, the harder it's going to be. So let's say I'm doing business or potentially doing business with a third party cloud supplier, and they have a dependency on, uh, on hydro, of course. So then I go to hydro, and I ask him, and they have a dependency on a nuclear plant. So I go to the nuclear plant, so how far into it do I know, to, and how far into it do I go as well? So I, I think it, the harder, it's going to be harder to go further and further, but I've I got to get to a point where i got to feel comfortable. Typical organizations just, just rely on that third party in their own statements, around their own third parties uh, to, to feel comfortable on doing business with that third party. More than that, I would probably say is getting more into residual risk. So the residual risk in this case would be I'm comfortable enough that my third party has done their due diligence to address their own third party failures. And that's where I leave it. So how far into it is probably a little bit uh, too much. You'll probably find that a cloud, let's say they have a dependency on hydro, they also have generators and UPSs. So, so they have their own workarounds, sorry, their own mitigating controls in place. So even if they have a hydro failure, have UPSs and generators, so, so many things would have to happen for them to suffer from a total power loss, which means in this case, the UPS doesn't last enough, the generators don't last enough, and then there's a hydro failure. So there's, so there's probably a very low likelihood that all those things happen already to a third party. And on top of that, actually, they wouldn't have a disaster recovery plan. So that, that would be a little bit too far in this case. For some organizations, very few, I would find this is not acceptable. But I would think that for most organizations, they would find this would be a very acceptable residual risk. Okay, great. So uh, with the time we've got left, let's, we've talked about you know, how we identify these and you know, how we uh, should deal with some of them. Let's look at how do we maintain them? How do we keep keep going forward? How you know how do we link this with you know problem management and updating our our plans and processes and protocols that we have in place? You know, what are your suggestions on how do we maintain our programs when it comes to dependencies? So here's here's the two concepts that I, I like us to talk about. And one is problem management, as you mentioned, and the other one is change management. Uh, and change management has two ramifications that I'm going to talk in a minute. So uh, problem management, in my view, and this is from a purely an, an IT-centric perspective, is just getting the problem when it has happened. And, and I mean, we have an incident, 
the incident is managed, the incident has been resolved, but then problem management takes it and goes through it with a very fine-tooth comb to understand what really happened. The outcome of problem management should be a root cause analysis. This is what really happened that triggered the incident, right? And, and that root cause analysis uh, could result, for example, in, in, again, in a purely IT world, in the identification of single points of failure. So, for example, a router went down, and this is what caused a significant outage, but we depended on a single router. And that all ends up, again, into the cycle of risk management. Do you accept? Do you mitigate? Do you resolve? Do you avoid? Do you transfer the risk? Now, take that concept and put it in the business. Sorry, I'm fighting a, a bit of a cough. So, in, in that context, we conduct also an analysis of what really happened. Let's say it was a process failure. Somebody uh, forgot to capture a signature or, or an acknowledgement from a client or a certain letter. So what caused the issue? What is the root cause? And then how can we uh, integrate or correct um, the situation into our current processes or create different processes so this doesn't happen again? Or someone simply was, didn't come to work that day. Do we have a single point of failure, I guess, or single point of dependency in one person that causes other people to be trained or cross-trained in a certain uh, item? So these, these items are following management help us just get to the bottom of things and help us also understand what measures we need to have in place. And, of course, everything in the context of is, is this a good risk management decision? It might be too costly to prevent this from happening again, and it might not ever happen again. But it's also part of the decision-making process. Right. Now, the other like item cost, is change management. Sorry, go ahead. It's like, like a cost-benefit analysis. You know, if it goes down again, it'll cost us 10000 but to replace it, it's a million dollars. Well... We'll stick with what we've got. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So the next now is change management? So change management, again, so there's a business change management and also IT change management. So there's two, two very similar concepts, one applicable to the business, of course, and one applicable to the information security world. So how do we, for example, um, um, integrate a new organizational unit into our company? Right, so that is part of change management. It is understanding if I am going through a merger and acquisition, right? Understanding what is the other company, what is the organizational structure, what are the processes, what are the different controls, what can we leverage from each other to be efficient, to be effective, really, and to also manage risk properly. And also, as, as time goes, whatever we've done from a business continuity perspective uh, and whatever measures are in place, um, simply to go through a change management process. What has happened in the last month, six months, maybe one year, that may impact the way I'm doing business, right? Uh, how does this alter my business impact analysis? And how does this alter my business continuity plans? So all those controls need to be taken into account in the context, again, of a business change management process, right? And, and similarly, for IT, and when, I, when an information system goes through changes, somebody's got to be able to say, okay, this is when I'm going to implement the change. These are the considerations I need to have in place in case things don't go as planned. So I have a backup plan. This is who I need to notify when the change is complete or when the change could not be completed also. Right? And also, very importantly, if I have a new application or, sorry, of an application goes through a significant change, all the recovery steps may change. 
So what are the implications mm-hmm. on my disaster recovery plan? So if you see here, this is a quite, a, quite a very good parallel between business continuity and disaster recovery. If an organization goes through a change or if a business process goes through a change, it has implications on business continuity planning. If an information system goes through a change, it also has implications in its uh, correspondent disaster recovery plans. So change management helps us maintain also the relevance, the accuracy, uh, the, the effectiveness of those plans and of those controls that we otherwise um, uh, would need to change and would need to have in place at that point. That is the importance of both business change management and technology change management. And that also can have, depending on what the change is, you also need to involve some of your third-party uh, p- uh, partners as well, right? You can't just make a change if there's a downstream impact you know, to you know, XYZ vendor. They need to be aware of it and involved as well, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, so that, that's why it's, it's also important. If we have that, all the information that is pertaining to our business continuity plan, uh, business process, or our critical information system, and we have a thorough understanding of third-party dependencies, we're able to assess if a change, again, business or technology, has repercussions on third parties. Absolutely, that's a great point. And I think we need to understand as well uh, the nature of those repercussions because we might have what's called also a, a downstream or an upstream dependency. So we produce something, we work on something, and then, then we give to a third party, so that being more like downstream, or we receive from a third party something that we need to process. That's an upstream dependency. So knowing those dependencies may help us also in properly managed changes and, of course, preventing any disruption uh, uh, with a third party or on to a third party. Right. So, and, and to our listeners out there too, any of those people that are working in project management, that's something you need to consider as well. Because eventually when you get to that point, like Alvaro, as you're saying, to implement a change, you need to contact and know who all these impacted parties are going to be so that everybody's in sync. And and you even mentioned it, you know, if as you're implementing, you're making that change, there's a problem, uh, there's a backout plan in place. Exactly, exactly. So it is important to have those in place. Uh, also, organizations um, need to understand more and more that as a result of, um, of exercising, uh, we either win or learn, as they say. So, so we might learn quite a lot from a change. We might learn quite a lot of exercising. But adult, uh, approaching those, those two areas with an open mind and with a learning mind will help us only improve. So through an exercise, we'll know, for example, that we had a, a dependency that we didn't account for, or through a change, we might know as well. But the important thing is that we understand that, we capitalize on that, and going forward, we, we ask the questions that we didn't ask before, and we only improve more and more our maturity and our posture towards risk. Right. Okay. Uh, we've only got two minutes left, Alvaro. Would you... What would you say, uh, you know, maybe in a, a final closing point, you know, what would you like to say about dependencies and dependency management? Hmm. It's a very good question. I'll probably say um, uh, it, it's a process, right? Again, we don't know what we don't know. It is a process. Um, you, you might, uh, through that process, you might understand quite a lot of those dependencies, but also keep uh, an alert mind and an open mind to what's out there and to understand what other 
uh, effects and what other dependencies that you haven't covered might also have uh, an effect on your business processes or on your technology systems, right, or information systems. It, it is, again, as I said, it takes time uh, to fully understand the, the entire set of dependencies and, and to constantly maintain it. So it's a process in the mindset as well, yes. So don't work in a silo. Everything is interconnected somehow, right? Entirely, exactly. Well said. Okay, so I'd like to thank uh, Alvaro Arantia uh, once again for another great informative show. I think this is your third or fourth time with us, uh, Alvaro. So I want to thank yes, you. Yes. Uh, I want to thank you again for uh, sharing your knowledge and your tips and uh, ideas with us. Thank you, Alex. Happy to be here and, and to talk about these items. They are very close and, and very dear to me. Thank you so much. Oh, I know you and I uh, talk a lot uh, offline every so often, and uh, you know we get going so <laughs> on these topics. Very good. And to Thank everyone you. out there, uh, I, again, if there's a topic you'd like us to talk about, um, if you want to be a guest, please feel free. Send me an email at info at stone-road.com, or I believe you can reach me through the uh, voiceamerica.com website as well. Um, send me your ideas, things to touch base on, thing, topics to cover, or if you want to be a guest, or suggest someone who should be a guest to talk about something on the show. You know, anything emergency-related, uh, disaster, business continuity, we're open to all subjects. So, everyone out there, thank you very much for listening. Thanks again, Alvaro, and stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.